Our scripture reading this morning is found in Exodus chapter 14. Please turn there in your Bibles as we look at God's Word together. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. And just raise your hand, they'll bring one to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Exodus 14. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihoth Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Beel Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-Hoth-Hiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. And stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. 
and the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and, all, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us free from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. May God give us understanding in his word that we preach this text through uh, this morning. If you would remain standing with me, let's bow for a time of prayer. After prayer, a choir will come with special music. And following the special music, the preaching of God's word this morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for each one that you've allowed to come and to be here. And we pray, Lord, that we might get understanding from your word, that we might be challenged, encouraged um, in your word, rebuked where that is necessary, and guided and instructed to trust in you. We pray that you'd open our minds to your truth and help us not reject it, but to receive and, and follow it. We pray for and thank you for those who are here with us today. We thank you for your blessing and your keeping and your healing. Some who have been sick, we think of, of Mickey and um, her ailment that you have allowed her to be back with us. We pray for... Nick's family, for Patty and, and uh, their son and their daughters, their daughter and their sons, that you might uh, complete the healing uh, process for them. 
may be with them and watch over them. We thank you for the blessing yesterday of the reception of Wayne and Katrina and uh, just the opportunity to celebrate um, their wedding. We pray your blessings on them in, in their life, in their marriage, their relationship, their family, that you would use and guide and bless them. We thank you for the anniversary today for Brian and for Heidi, thanking you for the years that you have given them in faithful uh, marriage and commitment. Thanking you for the children and the family that you've grown through them and developed. We pray, Lord, that you'll continue to bless them. May your hand be upon them and their family. May you use them for your glory. May they be uh, mighty warriors, their children and, and each of them mighty warriors for your kingdom. May you save each one of those boys and may you uh, use them for your glory. Thank you for this family. And Lord, um, just bless this day, all who are part of this service today, those who are in person, those who view from a distance that you might um, use this uh, to encourage hearts to worship, to serve you, to hold you in the highest regard. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Direct your attention to God's word in Exodus chapter 14. In this chapter, we see God has delivered his people from slavery, and he is delivering them. God has performed numerous signs and miracles to reveal himself to his people and to show Pharaoh and all of Egypt his glorious power and his authority. At this point in the story, the Lord has done miracles to show the people of Israel that he will deliver them and lead them through Moses. He has shown through the ten plagues that he will judge those who oppress his people. He has shown himself to be ruler of creation. Almighty God and Lord of the nations and the gracious deliverer of his people. In the previous chapter, we saw the greatest plague, the death of every firstborn throughout Egypt. And after that, Pharaoh and all Egypt finally released Israel and sends Israel out of their land. And as they leave Egypt, God leads them with a pillar of cloud and fire. Now in this chapter, in, verse, in chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, God baits Pharaoh. He baits Pharaoh. He sets him up. God leads Israel in a path that seems to be a dead end at the Red Sea. In fact, in verse 1, he says they, they are to turn and he directs them to go in this direction where they get to the end of the road 
and there's the sea. They're hemmed in by the sea. He gives, in other words, he gives them specific instructions that lead to a dead end. You ever feel like that in your life? You ever feel like you're at a place that God has appointed, God has directed you there, but you see no bridge. <laughs> you see a dead end that, that you don't know why are you sitting here in this moment, at this place, in this dead end. Is this a mistake? Sometimes we rehearse and say, wow, how, how did I get here? Did, did, did I do something stupid? Did I do something? Uh, or was I, in fact, following God's direction? I think that's good for us to evaluate, to see what we've done and to learn from our situation. But the point here is that God intentionally brought his people here. He intended for them to be here. And yeah, I can do that sometimes in our lives. What does God have in mind? Why does he have them here? Now, we, we've read through the chapter, so we get a sense for that. But you see, in your life, the chapter's not over yet. And you might be sitting there right at that dead end, and you need to know what God can have in mind and what he wants you to learn and what he wants you to do. God's path for us often has us encounter difficulties and challenges that are part of God's purpose. I think if you're like me, you probably pray every day, Lord, make this a good day. Bless this day. And no matter how spiritual we are, we tend to think and we tend to, to want things to just go smoothly. No hitches, little drama, let everything just flow. That's our preference. But God doesn't always lead it that way. I want you to get a glimpse in this situation why God has done what he's done. He, he, he tells us in verse 3, he says this, For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. So Pharaoh's watching them, and he sees where they are, and he says, I can't believe this. I sent them out, and they go right to the sea and stop. Now they're encamped there. Pharaoh looks at this as, as an opportunity. God is baiting Pharaoh. He says in verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Notice the purpose of God. He's going to bring glory to himself out of this event. He doesn't say specifically how. He says, I've got Israel hemmed in right where I want them to be. Pharaoh thinks it's a chance for him to retake them and take advantage of them, and he's going to pursue them. He doesn't tell us what's going to happen after that, but he says, I'm going to get the glory out of this. 
I have set this up for my glory. Now, if you belong to God, that's encouraging. If you're like Pharaoh and don't belong to God, that's not encouraging at all. God is setting things up for his glory. Get on his side. Get on his side. And when you come to that hemmed in, dead in situation, you don't have to fear, but you can trust in God. Now let's see what happens from here. In verses 5 through 9, just like God said, Pharaoh and Egypt take the bait. It says they change their minds about Israel. And so Pharaoh prepares his army in verse 6 and 7. It says in verse 8 that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And then Pharaoh pursues Israel and he actually catches up with them. Verse 10, Israel sees Pharaoh's army closing in, and they begin to cry out to God. I think that's the response that we should have, but I don't quite think that uh, Israel is where they need to be. You can see that by their prayer, by their cry out to God. They complain about God's purpose for them. And we see that complaint directed to Moses. It's interesting, at the end of verse 10, it says, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. In verse 11, it says, they said to Moses. What you say or the attitude you show towards those who are leaders in your life depict your attitude towards God. They cried out to the Lord, but they spoke to Moses and they said, why'd you do this? Look, look at what they said. Look at their, their attitude. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? So they questioned God's purpose. In other words, God, we would rather you have just left us alone than to bring us here at this dead end. Why, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? I wonder if God wanted to answer that. What have I done? Let me tell you what I've done. I've, I've delivered you from 430 years of slavery is what I've done. Well, why'd you do that, Lord? You just brought us to this dead end. Think about it. Is that what he's done? Just brought you to a dead end? Yeah, he brought them to a dead end, but for a purpose. And they don't realize the purpose. One of the things that faith does, it helps us to give, get a right perspective of God, trust God to be God, a loving, gracious God to his people, and a protecting, fiery God against those who threaten his people. And God has shown him himself to be that through this whole process of the ten plagues against Egypt. But still, they don't quite trust him. 
I want you to, I want to dig in a little bit. I want you to notice the faithless, defeated attitude of Israel. They, in fact, have a slave mentality. They say, what have you done to, to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I call that a slave mentality. They're saying we would have been better off. There's more benefit for us if we have remained slaves than to be free where we are right now. I ask myself the question, are there benefits to being a slave? Do some prefer the benefit of slavery to the challenges of living in freedom? There's a phrase in Ecclesiastes that kind of reflects, in a way, this attitude. It says, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. And the truth there is that, yes, there, there is... Those who have life have hope. So they are better off as long as they have their life to have some hope. But the problem here is that Israel, just like many of us today, aren't walking and living by faith. Those who live by faith are willing to risk even their life so that they might experience what I call really living. They're willing to live in faith under God and to trust him for his supply of everything they need rather than live in comfort with someone else supplying what it is they need. What are some of the benefits of slavery? Well, Back in Egypt, they had no bills. They had free housing and free food. That's a fact. They had all that, but of course, it's at the discretion of the slave owner. What they had was labor without leadership responsibility. In other words, I just do my job. I don't have to worry about the outcome. They had no long-term planning responsibility. Just wake up in the morning, what I got to do? Whatever master tells me to do, that's all I got. I ain't going to worry about tomorrow because I'm going to be doing the same thing. I don't have to think ahead. I don't have to plan ahead. I don't, in other words, I don't have the responsibility of that or the burden of that. Now, what are some of the challenges of liberty? See, the, the, the benefits of slavery is that someone else is responsible to provide for you at whatever level they determine to provide for you. The challenge of liberty is that you're responsible for yourself at the, 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 at the level determined by you. It requires some self-motivation. No work, no eat. When you're living in freedom, it requires some planning and some execution. And you don't have that automatic fallback, but you have to trust or rely on something else. It may be your own effort. It may be 
In this case, what God will provide or what you will look to God to provide combined with your effort. This slave mentality says, I would rather be a slave than to live under God's trust and rely on him for my substance. Because that's exactly where God put them. He put them in a corner. He hedged them in. He put them at a dead end where they were threatened to challenge how they would think about that. Now, are you going to trust God to deliver you? Or are you going back, going back to your old ways? Something that you're comfortable with. Something that, that you, you may not like. It may not even be pleasant. In fact, it's nothing but unpleasant. But that's what you're used to. Israel was challenged to trust in God in this time of hardship, and they chose, I'd rather be a slave. I'd rather return back to my slavery and my oppression than be threatened in my life. It's interesting how opposed that is to a life of faith. Hebrews 11 says this about Moses, 11.25. I'm going to read verse 24 through 26, actually. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, here it is, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Well, he was looking to the reward. The exact opposite of what Israel said. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses says, Lord, I, I will die following you rather than live in luxury in sin. Exact opposite of what's going on here. In the New Testament, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, this is Jesus. When he says, calling a crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. He says, do you want to save that old raggedy life of slavery that you came from? Or are you willing to live under God's rule and submission even if it calls for suffering? What I'm about to say might sound political, and it is. But it's first and foremost spiritual. It's this. In America today, far too many, for far too many, the government has become God. For far too many, the government has become God. We would rather rely on the government and be a servant to it than to live in full reliance on God. 
For example, we rely on the government and we expect the government to provide jobs, provide security, provide housing, food, education, health care, retirement income, etc., etc., etc. We'd rather rely on a government to supply those things than to trust and obey God to bring that about. In fact, I think today many people aren't pushed and turned to God because they got their God already. We would rather submit to the government and be its slave than to live in reliance on God. We would rather accept some classification, live on a measly, I knew a man who lived on a measly $800 a month disability, than obey God, develop our own skill and make a living for ourselves and live by faith. During this COVID epidemic, many chose to take a handout from the government and not work. Then obey God, rely on him, and work for a living. It's that attitude that's being challenged. It's this attitude that, hey, instead of struggling or facing a challenge, obeying God, I'd rather go back to being a slave and taking whatever they dish out for me. We'd rather break up our families, send our men out of our homes so we can qualify for some government program than to be willing to earn a living and rely on God. We degrade ourselves and take a handout because we too lazy or lack the faith to live in reliance on God. When I say reliance on God, God says, this is the way I want you to live. You work for your substance, and you trust me as you work for that. I like what Paul wrote in the New Testament, no work, no eat. But you see, some rely on another God. It's amazing that Israel had become comfortable Living in slavery to when that's taken away and they're freed, they're saying, oh, this is too hard. We got no protection. We got no free food. We got no hope, nowhere to go. We'll go back to what we were comfortable with. I want you to see Moses' response to them. In verse, four, verse 13, it says, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, their mentality, their slave mentality was based on fear, which is, by definition, lack of faith. It's faithlessness. They think it's the easy way out. In reality, it's not really the easy way out. It's a pathetic way of thinking rather than relying on God. You say, well, well, they say, well, relying on God is just too, it's, it's, it's too much drama in that. It's too much work. 
Is it really? It is much required. And we'll talk as we, we walk through that. But Moses said to them, first of all, fear not. Don't run your life based on fear. In other words, the most, the easiest solution is not always the one that God would have you to follow. He wants you to follow and obey him. So he says, stand firm. Did God direct them to be where they are? Yes. God had drawn them out of Egypt. God had delivered them from this slavery, and God had directed them to go here. And now they face their first difficulty. First, part of that is this, this notion that when we follow God, we should never face a difficulty. That's not of God. That is not what God says. When you follow me, you'll never meet another challenge. You never wonder how you're going to eat the next day. You never wonder how, what, where, where my substance is going to come from. That's not it. When you do wonder, you will look to God, not to something else. You will learn to rely on God. You will learn to live by faith in God. Now, had God chosen, had God shown himself to them? Has he, has he revealed himself that he's the one that will deliver them and then sustain them? Had he set that for them? Had he made that principle known to them? Yes, he had, and he was. He will continue to do that. Moses' word to this people was to fear not. Do not live and walk by fear. Walk by faith. God has shown himself one to whom we can trust. Trust him. He will challenge and test you. He will lead you to what seems like our dead ends so that you might rely on him. We don't like being in the dead ends, but that's where God places us so that we will turn to him. There's this challenge there. Are you going to turn back to Egypt or are you going to turn to God? Then he says, stand firm. Now, he didn't mean just sit there and wait for Egypt to come and, and obliterate you. No. He says, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. God has shown them. He, look, he says, look, how did you get here? If I can go back and ask a question, how did Israel get there? Oh, uh, they just left Egypt and they was kind of wandering around. Not no, no, that's not how it happened. God says, I'm going to lead you by a pillar of cloud in the daytime. And when at nighttime you can't see that pillar of cloud, I'm going to give you a pillar of fire to lead you. And step by step by that pillar of cloud and that fire, he led them to the dead end. What they should have asked is, was he following that pillar of cloud? The answer was yes. Did we follow the pillar of fire? The answer is yes. Then what should we do? Moses says, fear not. In other words, don't be ruled by fear. Fear causes us to panic and to do stupid stuff that's based on our own thinking. He says what? Stand firm. And, and, and again, that's not just, 
oh, just sit there and do nothing. He says, see the salvation of the Lord. Let's go back to that verse, verse 14. Verse 13. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. God ain't going to leave you hanging. He directed you to a dead end, true. Because he wants you to come to the end of yourself and stop trying to get out or provide your own solution. He says, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And he didn't even leave them in the dark. He says this, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. He's saying rely fully on God. I'm telling you, I'm going to take care of this. See, when God gives that kind of assurance, then it doesn't matter what corner he sets us at. We simply say, God, here I am. I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to take you to task and you're going to, you're going to fulfill your commitment and your promise. That's what walking in faith does. But it's not easy. It's not easy. Because when you get to that edge, it is fearful if it's dependent on you. They were thinking, now look, we can either keep walking off this cliff or into the sea, or we can turn around and fight and who are we to fight against the Egyptians? The answer would have been, we're going to lose this battle. But God steps in and says, the battle ain't up to you. I am going to fight for you. After that, I want you to notice in verse 15, God reveals his plan. He doesn't tell them all how he's going to do this. And, and that's where we are sometimes. God hasn't told me everything he's going to do in the next month, next quarter, or next year, or even in the next day. But he said, you can trust me. And that's exactly what he expects. Look what happens next. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. What? Go forward? Go forward? Lord, we had a dead end. What do you mean go forward? He says, here's how it's going to happen. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Now, now, now wait a minute. <laughs> that just sounds crazy. Moses is going to lift up his hand with the staff, and people are going to keep walking. They're going to go through the sea. Not over it, not on top of it. They're going to go through the sea. And then he qualifies that by saying dry ground. In other words, there's something I'm going to do that you ain't seen before. You got no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. And I'm, I'm going to clue you in on it. Verse 17, they ain't finished. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that 
That word so that always gets my attention. I'm working in their hearts so I can destroy them and bring glory to myself. That's what he's saying. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So to a degree, we're just pawns. Play chess and you understand a pawn is the least significant piece <laughs> on, 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 on the set. But God is using them to accomplish his purpose. He says, I set you there. <laughs> Actually, another, another analogy, they're bait. They're drawing Pharaoh in. And God is doing something. He's going to bring glory to himself, and he's going to destroy. He, he, it's like he's doing three things at the same time. He's going to protect his people and lead and guide them. He's going to bring glory to himself, and he's going to destroy the enemy of his people. That tell you something about what God is doing in all of history? He's doing all of that. See, this is just a picture of God's whole plan. He's going to protect his people. He's going to provide for them. He's going to, to get glory up for himself of what he's about to accomplish, and he's going to destroy his enemy and the enemy of his people. God is doing that. He's, he's, this is his plan for all of eternity. And he causes us to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. He causes us to rely on him, to live daily in that reliance, in that faith that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. So God has said this over and over throughout all of history. We still see this and we see this. This is fulfilled in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's handing the kingdom over to his son. His son is going to win the victory. He's already, he's already had the major blow. The battle isn't finished yet. It's not over yet. And he's going to finish the job. He's going to bring his people out of destruction, and he's going to clamp down on all the enemies of his people. He's talking about eternity now. And so if God is going to accomplish in eternity what he's purposed, then God certainly is going to bring us through the history of it. It doesn't mean I won't face any hardships. It doesn't mean I won't face any challenges that might test my faith in him. But he is real. His purpose is true. He's going to accomplish it all. And he's looking for you and me to stand and turn to him and say, God, I trust you. No matter what my situation is now, I'm trusting you and I'm going to walk in that trust. So God reveals his plan in verse 15 through 18. Verse 19 through 20 is an amazing couple of verses. It says, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. Whoa, that, that sends chills down my back. It's saying, look, this, remember I said, how did they get there? The pillar of cloud was leading them, and they got right here, and it stopped. And they're like, oh, man. And they look behind them, and they can see a cloud of dust. Horses and chariots of Egypt 
on their way to them. They could see that from a distance. They're like, we in trouble now. We got nowhere to go. We don't got any weapons. We are in trouble now. But all of a sudden, after God instructed uh, uh, his, his man Moses, this pillar of fire, this pillar of cloud said, boom, 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 boom. It said, hey, don't worry about nothing. I, I, I got you. It's God, God had put his force. And by the way, when you look back at this, you, you see that this, this represents God's angel. God's angel of protection went from here be in front of them to behind them. And look at what it says. Let's just read the verse. Verse 19. Then the angel of God, who was gone before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night." It seemed to me like it gave light to Israel and just darkness and blindness to Egypt, and it was there as a protector. Hey, God don't play. God is showing, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. You think you hemmed in. What you can't see is my spiritual force, my protection over you. An angel there of God, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire that is standing between the mighty army of Egypt and, and, and the vulnerable people of God. But they're protected. They're protected. It says this all night. They didn't allow the Egyptians to come there. Now, can you imagine? I understand it's over a million and a half people of Israel coming out of Egypt. You got no fast getaway when, you, when you're traveling in that crowd. And you can't hide anywhere. So, you know, you can see the tracks of the roads that these people have gone by. E Egypt is, is, is a mighty army. They're skilled. They, they can track Israel to where they go. In fact, he already knew they hemmed in by the sea. We know exactly where they are. How come they couldn't get to them? What's the problem? Not a problem. It's a matter of protection. It doesn't, it doesn't depend on circumstance or vulnerability. You and I are in vulnerable states all the time, and our circumstances are what they are. God says, I will protect my people and complete my purpose for them. That's exactly what he does. I like this next section. Verse 21 through 31. God simply does what he says he's going to do. <laughs> he does exactly what he says he's going to do. So verse 21, Moses stretches out his hand. And sure enough, he divides the sea. I want you to notice something in the dividing of the sea. It doesn't happen instantaneously, and it doesn't have to happen instantaneously. It just happens the way God said. It's still a miracle. He brings an east wind, right? But how does a wind from one direction do this? It's still God's work and God's miracle. He causes this wind. It says he drove back the sea uh, by a strong east wind all night. 
and made the sea dry land. So how have you devalued those waters? It's a miracle to have that path big enough for 1.5 million people to walk through, right? And it be dry land. Ever walked on your front lawn after it rained? It's hard getting wheels and wagons and, and equipment and whatever it is they're using to walk. It's hard to get that through on soggy, wet soil. The Bible says it wasn't soggy. It wasn't wet. <laughs> it was a path. It was a road. It was dry ground. God did that. Verse 22. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Verse 23, sure enough, the Egyptians pursued. They said, well, hey, if they can go in there, I can go in there. How dumb is that? How stupid is that? I ask you that question because what person in their right mind, what army in their right mind said, uh, yeah, we're going to go into a path that has a wall of water on both sides because the Israelites went in there, yeah, we should go in there too. These folks have seen 10 plagues. God hardened their heart so that they act in stupid ways. Have you ever seen somebody stupid? Yeah, I see it every day. Not because they don't have intelligence. They can tell you stuff you don't know. They hard-hearted. They're set, their ways are set for destruction. God had set them because he's going to finish his job. People say they're too smart. They can get out of this or get out of that. They don't understand the stupidity of sinfulness. You can't educate that. You can't correct that. God is going to judge that. In fact, he brought it on so he could judge. That's exactly what he does they go into the sea. It starts off a dry ground for them, I suppose. But look at verse 24. In the morning watch. In other words, like the middle of the night, as they're traveling through, all of a sudden, those expensive wheels on the chariot start to crumble and fall apart. This is the greatest nation on earth. I would imagine it had the best equipped army that you could imagine, both in its, in its equipment and in, in, in its horses and, and, and everything they had was top notch. Israel made it, but they start falling apart. Think that's an accident? Verse 25, it says, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. They, they, got the, they got the image. It says, the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. They didn't have to be rocket science, scientists to figure that out, did they? God was doing something there, and they were on the wrong side of it. Then the command comes to Moses, stretch out your hand, verse 26, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back. In other words, Israel has all crossed over safely, and God gives the command to Moses, let it rip. 
let the waters come back. And they do exactly that. All the Egyptian army is destroyed. And God gets the glory out of it. We see just a summary in verse 29 and 30. It says this. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared God and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The right response to God's might and his power is to fear him. Notice the difference. Don't fear your circumstances. You're at the dead end. You don't know what's going to happen. Don't fear that. Stand firm now and fear, in other words, reverence and have faith in God. Trust God to do what he has promised to do. What he's promised to do, he's promised to deliver his people. He promised them to, to, to deliver them to the end, and he does that. He promises that he will punish those who oppress his people, and he fulfills that. He promises that in the end, he will get the glory. Now, all that give glory to God don't benefit from giving glory to God. They simply are shaking their heads and saying, yeah, that's, that, that's right. That is exactly right. God calls you to see what he's revealed about himself and to trust in him. God puts you in circumstances sometimes that you might trust in him. My prayer is that we do just that. My prayer is that we recognize that and we would obey the command that came from Moses Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, to walk in this path that God has given for his people. Walk according to God's purpose, according to God's path. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your power in working that you bring us to situations that we don't always understand. We don't prefer, but you have a purpose in it. Help us open our eyes to see your purpose, to follow you, to obey you. We know that your desire for us and your deliverance for us comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. He is how you fight for us so that our sin can be paid for by his death on the cross. It is his suffering that brings us salvation and we have but to look to him, to acknowledge him, to trust in him. 
Then you call us to follow him. We thank you for your protection along the way. We pray, Lord, that we might just walk in obedience to you, in faith, trusting in Christ as our Lord and Savior, step by step, walking in obedience to him. We pray, Lord, that that would be our challenge today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.